0: To say at the outset that I found the preparation for the sermon this week personally very confronting it wasn't that it was difficult to shape or to have a sense of the main message that was all too clear but it really challenged me not because it was taking me into unfamiliar territory but because it was very familiar and it, the challenge is the extent to which I'm personally seeking to hear and respond and aware of how much, how far short I fall within it. Less so, I think, for St Matthews as a church. I think many of the features, the qualities that are held before us in these passages are true to our story, true to our community. But it certainly gives us much to continue to work with. This week, uh, this Sunday, we're talking about it as a kickstart Sunday, the last of our summer series as we get back into our more regular routines starting of next week. But it gives us much to focus upon. What is that God expects of us? And how do we hear and respond? How do we translate that into the reality of the world in which we live and which we engage So as we continue our exploration of the Gospel of Matthew, we come to that very familiar passage, the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps some of the most well-regarded teaching in certainly the Western tradition and beyond. As I've been preparing this week, I've been struck by the contrast between good news and bad news. And as I've been going through the preparation, I think, what's the good news bit? Then I come to the next bit, then, oh, that's a bad news bit. Then I come back to a good news bit, then a bad news bit. Then I come back to a good news bit as well. I have to say that I've struggled to know how to finish when I preparation last night. I had to slides together in good time. But it's like a jigsaw puzzle where you just got a handful of pieces, and they no matter how I worked on them, for about two hours, I could not fit them together. It did come together this morning. So that's why there's a couple of last-minute inclusions that I had to check with Jonathan. One of the big questions, I think, um, that our society is asking is not so much does God exist. That's certainly a a question and there's various views around it. But I think the deeper question that many, many of us, people of faith as well as those who are seeking and searching, are really grappling with is, does God really care? Does God really care for us We can feel so insignificant against the backdrop of a a big universe. We can even feel insignificant against the backdrop of global movements and forces of power and all the things that seem to press in on us. Does God care about our health? Does God care about our anxiety? Does he care about the things that preoccupy us, about problems to be solved, about the realities of life. I think I'm not speaking just for myself and saying it's a question we all find ourselves asking and others ask it of us as people of faith. When we explore the Bible, we see that there is an absolute resounding answer to that question. I could give you a long list of passages as we read the scriptures that assures us that God does care God cares deeply Psalm 50 that the heavens proclaim his justice for God himself will, ju- will judge passages like uh, uh, Amos let um, I get the right ones around. Uh, Another psalm, Psalm 89, Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 103, the Lord, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Psalm 33, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. If you do a search, there's passage and passage and passage that relates those two themes, justice and righteousness, over and over and over again. It's a resolute answer. God does care. And that is the good news. It's a beautiful summary of it all in this first passage from Amos 5, one of many, but I love the imagery of it. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. This is in God's very being. So we can have an absolute confidence that the God revealed to us in the Bible, the God revealed to us in the history of his people, of Israel and of all the movements that have come in, in fulfillment of that, God does indeed care with every fiber of his being. What does God care about? It's a pretty long list and it could go on and on and on. God cares about the state of the world. God cares about injustice, about the vulnerable, about corruption, about the exploited and the abused and the poor and violence and war. God cares passionately about those things. Now I have to say, I grew up and I was trained in a theological tradition that actually would argue that that's all secondary to the gospel itself. I remember hearing some lectures about it, how, yes, God does care, and it's all important, but the most important thing is our relationship with God. I do not believe that God ever separated the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God of your heart, soul, mind, and strength over there, and love your neighbour as yourself over there. He says the two are the one. Cannot do that. This is God's heart, every fiber of his being. And the list could go on and on and on. Don't we know it? So if God does care and that is the good news, we have to recognize the bad news. (laughs) Because God cares, because God just doesn't brush things under the carpet, because God's Sight seeks out attempts to cover and to spin and to obfuscate and to try and every reason to avoid it for ourselves. The reality is, a great quote from J.I. Packer, God's wrath is his righteousness reacting against unrighteousness. That is a truth. If we want a God who cares... We have a God who cares about all that is good and all that is not good, all that is right and all that is not right, including us. That means that the reality of our lives is exposed before God and there is nowhere to hide, not just personally, but as communities, as societies. God asks those questions of us. It is in that context that we can then revisit those familiar words in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to go and rehearse them all. Obviously, you could have a, a whole sermon series and even that wouldn't do justice to the richness of them. But they are familiar to us. The key theme within it is the word Blessed. It's one of those areas where I have a particular interest in to see how different Bible translations cope with this word blessed because it's a really hard word to convey. What does that mean, the word blessed? Some translations describe it as happy. The Good News Bible says, Happy are you. And I used to be fairly disparaging about that, but there's an element of truth that's actually included within it. I would suggest that the way to get behind the strength of that word blessed is to recognize it as god saying god cares deeply and will take care of all those who are named within that list god cares deeply about the poor about the vulnerable god cares deeply about just going back to that list Those who are persecuted, those who have been dealt with badly by others, those who have experienced injustice, those who are grieving. God cares deeply about those people. That is the strength of the word blessed. And we see it picked up in this seminal moment in the ministry of Jesus. Remember in our narrative in Matthew, Jesus has stepped into the public arena and stepped into his obedience to the mission and ministry he was given and his baptism, identifying with the world and all its realities, all its messiness. We had Jesus being tempted and offered an alternate way. Just bow down before me, Satan said, and I'll give you everything, another pathway. And Jesus was resolute and saying, no. Then we have Jesus gathering together, We saw last week, reaching out into people, calling on them to say, follow me, trust me. We're starting a movement, a movement of God's people. And then in Matthew's narrative, he gathers the people sitting down on the Sermon on the Mount and says, this is what I'm talking about by way of the kingdom. This is the movement. This is what I want you to have a hunger and passion for, to be peacemakers, to be shalom makers to engage and make a difference in the world around us. So God does care for it and identifies that. That's the good news to come back to. So God does indeed care with every fibre of his being. The more I reflected on that, I'm confident that that sits well with me. It was the next bit that challenged me personally. The next bit that I've listened and haven't so much wrestled with, but it just continues to say I can't move on from this too readily. And God wants, God expects us to care about those things with every fibre of our being. That is the point. in which I said, wow, I know I don't. I do try, but I'm overwhelmed with just how much need is out there. I'm overwhelmed by the mix and all the things pressing in on us. That's not a bad agenda to try and sit and work our way through for... The remainder of the year now i'm not saying it in the terms of a church i don't want to berate st matthew's because i actually do believe it this is true to our dna we are people who recognize those amongst us who are grieving those who are going through difficult times we'll try and provide meals we'll try and reach out to people and just checking are you okay that's the sort of church that we have always sought to be and continue to do so that's what we are focusing on in the year that lies ahead Matthew goes on, and we have more about this next week. He says, what does this look like? Well, your calling as my people is to be salt. It is to be light in this world. I'm going to focus more on that and what is to come. And then Jesus says a pretty outrageous thing. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, then it's not good enough. And the people would say, What? They are the ones who are obsessed about obeying the law, about doing what is right according to God's law. What Jesus is saying is, I want your passion to be equal, if not more, than them. Share my passion, God says, and what is right, and naming what is not right, and where we need to call it out and make a difference. That is what we're kick-starting. The mission and ministry we have as a church isn't for us to sit down and decide what we come up with. It is there for us. The question is, how can we go about it? What is God calling before us? Psalm 82 puts it quite clearly. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's not rocket science. We don't need a great lexicon to try and work out that. The challenge is how do we put it into practice? And that was the point where I got to last night. About 10 o'clock. Daniel would tell you, I didn't get to bed until about midnight. I couldn't, where do I go beyond that? It's overwhelming. I know it, I can't argue with it. I don't want to argue with it. But I'm just aware it's just overwhelming. What came to me this morning were two images. I want to leave you with that. First of all, we return to our passage, the first passage, and it was, and is an accusation. This is the charge that God brings against his people. He says, what do I want? Do I want a thousand rams and sacrifices and great religious ceremonies? Do I want you to give your firstborn to me? God says, no, that's not what I want. I want you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. God says, I'll be with you. I will strengthen you. But where does it take us? How does that look as we seek to live that out in the year that lies ahead and beyond? Two images that are familiar to us, one from last week, one from this week. First of all, against that backdrop, does God really care in feeling that sense of isolation, of feeling so small and insignificant? What difference can I make against all these needs? It's overwhelming. Then I reminded myself this morning of the, the painting we finished with last week, how the, to be the light of the world isn't that we are to be a great big beaming light. But collectively, as each of those one little dots is just a little manageable, I can identify with a little dot of light, you gather them together, then suddenly you find the power of the light. is not so much through one strong, powerful beam, but collectively with all the energy and the vitality that comes through it. God does not expect me to solve all those problems in and of myself. God wants us as a church, us as a community, us as a nation to do that. So there's the imagery. I Googled this up at about eight thirty this morning in the process of preparing. Many hands make a difference. Lots of images come up. We know the truth. Many hands make light work, and there's often those wonderful images that ch- children come up with and others and saying, well, I do my bit, and you do your bit, and you do your bit, and all of bit And we look at that sea of hands and we suddenly realize we're not alone. We can make a difference. That is the power of a being part of a movement that we each contribute to something that is so much bigger than ourselves. So I've got the 10 to 9 this morning. I thought, hang on, there's one more image that's come to mind. I'll just do a quick search to see if I can come up with it. A portrait of Jesus' face made up of a mosaic of pictures. Each of one of those little squares is a person. You won't see it. You'll see the big picture of Jesus. But if you do a Google search, mosaic Jesus' face, it'll come up. There's a few different versions of it. Collectively, when we gather together side by side, we can image Christ to the world. And that is where the light can make a difference. And not just for us at St Matthew's when we stand with the other churches in our neighbourhood, when we stand with other churches across Adelaide and across South Australia and across Australia and around the world, we can make a difference and have and will continue to do so. That is what we seek in God's grace to be part of. The last conundrum I had 9 o'clock this morning I couldn't think of an interlude item last night. How can we reflect on it? It's such a great, powerful truth. So I did some Google searches and I did YouTube searches. Justice, mercy, Christian songs. Hardly anything came up. I said, That can't be true. I googled the various ones and all the ones about justice and about salvation and about righteousness and about freedom. 99% of them were all about me. So, there must be some classical ones. This is just a modern fad, all about me. So, I did some classical searches, classical hymns about that. Amazing Grace, all about me. Even over a thousand tongues and all those ones. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I thought, I don't want to end at that point. Then I came across one song, an Australian song, that I thought, I like the words. I'm going to play it in a minute. It's by a guy called Jeff Bullock, some of you may remember. But I couldn't find imagery to go of it. I tried to find a version of it. Some people must be doing versions. It's such a great song. The best version I found came from India. And I asked myself, what does it say about us if we are asking ourselves, who are we not seeing in our community? Who are we overlooking? when we hear the words of the song. So it is in that spirit that I invite you to listen to the words and to reflect that this is the passion that God calls us to together.